Good morning, church. It is so good to have you join us um, on our live stream this morning, or if you're watching delayed, welcome in. Um, we've got one big announcement um, that I'm sure that you saw Pastor Daryl's announcement a couple days ago. We are set to return to our church building as a congregation um, on March, on May, excuse me, May 17th. Um, you'll be receiving a letter in the mail with all details um, about the guidelines and things that we'll be placing forward with all of this returning back. Um, so make sure that you read that thoroughly when you get it so that you know exactly what's going to be going on. We'll also be posting on Facebook about it as well as our church website. So you've got three different mediums um, to get the instructions and the guidelines on how to do that. So again, just make sure you read through and watch all of these things thoroughly so that you do not miss any of the instructions and guidelines that we're setting forward and how we're going to be returning in waves um, starting on May 17th. Um, to open up our service this morning, I want to read the doxology in Romans chapter 11 at the end, starting in verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out, who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them. For far from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. Would you sing with us as we worship our God together? Who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Glory, behold our King. 
the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We come to worship him this morning. Welcome. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are. We bless your holy and righteous name. We desire for you to be lifted up today as we continue to sing your praise and as we open your word. Give us hearts that are tender before you and use this time to encourage us and to challenge us and to draw us to yourself. Uh, prepare our hearts today to serve you in this coming week. I thank you for our congregation. I thank you for each one. I ask your blessings. I pray for those who are hurting 
because of loss or other reasons, God, I ask you to bless them, encourage them, lift them up, grant them an extra measure of your grace and peace today. Continue to pray for our leadership, for our health care workers and all those who are in our service industries. We pray, God, for healing from the virus. We pray for encouragement and blessing. We pray that you would help us as we navigate, continue to navigate these times. Lead us, Lord, by your word and by your spirit. Thank you for your promise to be with us, that you would never leave us or forsake us, that you'd always walk by our sides and be uh, in our hearts and lives because of what you've done in Christ Jesus. Bless this time for his glory and for his honor. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Welcome, welcome. We're glad again that you're here and uh, look forward to continuing to worship. And at this time, Miss Natalie's going to come and bring our children's message. Well, good morning. Um, we are continuing our study today in First Peter. And this morning, we're going to be talking about holiness. Um, I brought little jar to show you. Hopefully you can see that okay from where you are. Um, you'll see this bottom half of the jar is red. You see that? And the top half, we have some white um, kind of liquid up there. And this red, this represents um, the sin in the world. So um, all of the different things that, um, that we could choose that don't honor God, um, that don't uh, follow what he's commanded us to do. And then this part up here, um, this represents us as believers. So we are called to be holy. You and I are called to be holy. Now, there's no way we can do that on our own, right? Um, but we are called to live a life of holiness. And to be holy means to be set apart. You should look different uh, from the world. If you're a Christian and you're following Jesus and doing what he's asked us to do, we should look different than the people around us. Um, we should have a life that's not full of these sinful choices. But you know, and I know if we're being honest, we make sinful choices, don't we, sometimes? Um, we want so much to live this holy life God has called us to, but sometimes we get mixed up with the sinful choices of the world and we start to look like everybody else out there. But we are not without hope because um, God has told us in his word um, that he wants us to come to him to ask for forgiveness. So listen to um, the words that God shares with us in 1 John. Uh, this is in chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says, this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But here's verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you see, we can once again be walking in a way that is right with God. So I pray that this week you will seek to live a life that honors God. And when you do mess up, that you will ask forgiveness and go to the one who loves you more than anyone else. And that is your father, God. Would you pray with me? Um, God, we are so thankful for the gift of Jesus and the forgiveness we can find. Um, I pray that you will help us all to strive to live a life that honors you and to live in holiness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 107, verses 2 and 3 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim 
that he has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Would you continue? Let's sing together and celebrate how God has redeemed us. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Child and forever I am redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. Open up for us through the curtain 
that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. Thank you, Austin and Natalie, and thank you for those of us, those who played our instruments today. We appreciate you so much. And today's passage is in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's good to be back up here where the pulpit is, too. So excited about that. And I appreciate uh, uh, Tim and Austin, everyone working on that and uh, trying to get us back to some form of normalcy. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to speak to you today on practical holiness in a perishing world. Practical holiness in a, a perishing world. I read about a hotel clerk who was a Christian who had been working double shifts and he was just tired out, just beat. And uh, he decided to take a break and go get something to eat. He went to the hotel restaurant and got some food. He was a Christian man, so he bowed to pray over his meal and he said this, Good evening, Holiday Inn. How may I help you? You know, he was trying, even though he was tired. You know, we're challenged in tiring times and in trying times to keep on keeping on for God's glory. So I want to talk to you today about 
practical holiness in a perishing world. We have spoken of God's provision, God's preservation in the gift of salvation. He has provided for us. The scripture says, and Peter told us already, he said, we have been born again to a living hope through a risen Savior. That's God's provision. But God is preserving that for us. The scripture tells us that that it is imperishable, it is undefiled, it will not fade, it is reserved in heaven for us, and that it is protected by the very power of God. So now he moves from provision and preservation to the practical. How do we live this out practically in daily life? In a world that's really looking at us as Christians to show who we are uh, in adversity and in difficulty to look like holy and godly people in a trying time. And so how does that happen? I want us to look at it a verse at a time this morning and maybe a couple of verses at a time. And then at the end, I want to encourage you to do something. I'm going to share with you four practical things to do to live in holiness anytime, but especially during our time. So if you need to get a pen or piece of paper, you can do that now and write those down because I think they'll be very helpful for you. But let's look first of all in First uh, Peter chapter 1, and in the 13th verse. It says, therefore, and what do we ask ourselves? What is it therefore? He says, therefore, because of God's provision, because of God's preservation, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare your minds for action. The King James says, gird your loins. It's an old uh, King James phrase. And uh, when God told the people to prepare for the Passover, when they were going to leave Egypt and go out into their freedom, he said, when you eat the Passover meal, gird your loins. It meant to uh, the men in those days would wear these long uh, garments and they would have to pull them up and tie them up with their belt so they'd be ready to go. So God said to those who are eating the Passover, he says, here's how I want you to do it. I want you to do it with your loins girded, with your sandals on and your staff in your hand. Be ready to go. I'm going to deliver you. Be ready to go. But he said also, do it with a sober mind. The New Living Translation says, think clearly and exercise self-control. The word sober means to be calm or steady. Now, one of the things that we as Christians, one of the advantages we have, the Spirit helps us to be calm and steady in the middle of difficulties. He helps us to keep our cool. And in the message paraphrase, it says, roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear. Another commentary that I read said it means to pull yourself together. Don't get distracted during a difficult time. But it all starts with our mind, with the way we think, keeping our mind on who we are and who we belong to. Now, we've already learned through this that we are chosen, we're sanctified, we're obedient children, we are forgiven children. That's who we are, and we belong to the Lord God. So he says, fix your hope, fix it. To fix means to make it steady. Fix your hope in the end of the verse 13 completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Keep looking for that day. Live every day with eternity in mind. Focus. He's saying to us, focus. Do you focus well? Do you get easily distracted? A lot of us do. I know I do sometimes. So focus. I, I wrote down a couple of things about focus. How does that happen? Well, we read God's word, we plant seeds in our hearts. When we read it, we pray over it. That waters the seeds. 
When we submit to it and obey it, that brings forth the fruit, the plant, the flower, the joy. So focus, being focused on what God would have us to do. And so he says really three things about our mind here. He says, I want you to be disciplined. I want you to be sober. And I want you to be hopeful. Set your hope completely on that end time when Christ will be glorified. And it starts, he says, with your mind. Prepare your minds for action. And then in verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Does that remind you of anything that Paul said? In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, in order that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Lots of things going on in our mind. We're not to be conformed. We're not to be molded into the old image of what we used to be. He says that we're not to be shaped by that or comply with that. Don't go back, he says. It's like the Israelites when they got out of the middle of the wilderness. The day they left Egypt, they were running and dancing and all excited. But when they got out of the wilderness and began to experience some adversity, they told Moses, you let us out here to die. Why don't you let us go back to Egypt? And we have the same nature. We, we want to go back to what's comfortable for us. But Peter said, don't go back. Don't go back to those old things you did, those old things that you did, your former lust that you committed in ignorance, in your self-indulgent nature. Don't go back to that. Uh, Eugene Peterson's message translation puts it this way. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. Your parents ever say that to you when you were growing up? You know better? That's what he's saying. Don't slip back into what you know better than now that you've come into the family of God. And then he gives us a great challenge in verses 15 and 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, what's it mean to be holy? Does that mean that we have a halo on our head? I don't think so. Does it mean that we live like a hermit? We go and hide out somewhere so we're, in, we're isolated from everybody and there's no way we can possibly be exposed to sin? I can tell you, no matter how much you isolate, you're still going to be exposed to sin because sin lives within us. It's we're part where we have a sin nature. So it doesn't mean to be like a hermit and just go and get away from everybody. It's okay to do that once in a while. We need to do that, but not all the time. It also doesn't mean to live like a monk. You know, a monk, he lives in a monastery with other monks, and they just, you know, they, they don't go out into the world. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't do that? He came right down into the middle of the dirt and the muck and the mire of our world and communicated with people who were sinners. If we're not careful, we want to isolate ourselves and not have anything to do with our sinful world. Well, how could we possibly be salt and light if we live like a hermit or a monk? That's not what he's calling us to do. The definition that I found, one of the definitions I found I thought was really good was the definition of holiness is to, to be set apart for God's exclusive use and pleasure. So what does it mean to be holy for us? It means this. It means that I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to go where he says go. I'm going to place myself and all my possessions and my family and those that I love, everything that I am and everything that I have are at his disposal. 
That's holiness. It's being set apart, not only setting myself apart, but all that he's entrusted to me. And he says, I want you to do this in all your behavior. He doesn't say just when you're in church or uh, that you should be different on Monday than you are on Sunday. He doesn't just say you should tip your hat to God. He said, I want you to do this every day in all your behavior. Whatever you do, wherever you go, work, school, to the store, uh, to the people that frustrate you, do these things in all your behavior. And then in verse 16, he says, for it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is taken from Leviticus chapter 11, where God says, I am the Lord, your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. What does it mean? It means that God is absolute authority. He's, this isn't a conversation. This isn't a, a bargaining. This is God saying, I'm in charge, you're not. I want you to consider that I, the Lord your God, am holy, so I want you to walk in holiness as, as well. You know, one of the things I think that means is that his mission is the most important thing. Why did God place the children of Israel in the midst of the land of promise? He put them there as a people on mission to the pagan nations. He didn't put them there just so he could bless them or just so he could give them this land flowing with milk and honey. He put them there to show the rest of the world what it was like to live in holiness under God. Now they failed miserably. But you and I have one particular blessing that's greater than anything they had. We have the gift of salvation and the spirit of God who lives within us to live in holiness. So uh, the big question is, in holiness is who's in charge? Is it me or is it God? And that's a question that we have to ask every day. I wrote a, a, a watched a documentary on Cowboys quarterback Tony Romo here a while back, and he was talking about how he spent hours just throwing the football. He would throw it outside. He would throw it into the couch inside just all the time, over and over and over. He said it was a joyful obsession. I think holiness for us as Christians should be a joyful obsession. Our lives uh, putting ourselves at his disposal because he's not doing it to make our lives boring or miserable. He's doing us, doing it so that we can be fulfilled because he created us and only he knows what will truly fulfill our hearts and our lives. Verse 17, he says, if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. If you address him as father, some translations say since you address him as father. What an incredible gift. You remember what John says in 1 John? Behold, what manner of love the father has given to us that we, we sinners should be called children of God, sons and daughters of God. That's something that we should never get over. And so he's saying to us, uh, if you call God your father, remember that he's also your judge. Because I love the fact that God's my father. I think that's incredible. The God who created heaven and earth is a father to me. That means I can talk to him and confide in him and come to him. But he's also my judge. And the scripture says that he judges impartially. He doesn't have favorites. Now, I like what one guy said. He said God doesn't have favorites, but he does has, have intimates. But he doesn't have favorites. And so... And, and also something else that I read here that really was a blessing to me, it says that this word judge doesn't mean that he's looking for something to get us for. He's looking for something to bless us for. He's looking for a way to give us an attaboy. He's looking 
<laughs> for you remember when he was talking to the devil and he said to him, have you considered my servant Job? He was proud of Job. Now Job went through hell on earth, but Job made his father proud. He made him thankful for the way that he lived and what he did. Uh, when I was working, when I was growing up, of course, I knew my father loved me, but I also knew he was my judge. <laughs> and uh, I remember one day he told me to mow the yard before he came home from work. When he got home that evening, had the yard mowed. Now, I didn't really enjoy mowing the yard when I was a kid. I do more now than I did then, but we had a one push more in one huge yard, about an acre. But I was young and it was no problem except for one day I got lazy. I didn't want to mow the yard. It was hot and it really didn't need mowing, mowing in my opinion. And so I went out and I just pulled the mower just a little bit, you know, because I, I knew it wouldn't start if, it, if I didn't pull it hard enough. And so I just put it back in the shed and my dad came home and said, why didn't you mow the yard? And I said, well, the mower wouldn't start. Well, he knew better. He didn't even check it. He knew exactly. Isn't it amazing how parents are like that? He knew that I just flat lied. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So he just looked at me with that look and he said, when I get home tomorrow evening, you better have this yard mode. Well, he loved me, but he was also my judge. And I knew there was going to be a price to pay. So I got the yard mode the next day. But as I grew in my relationship to my father, as I got older, I continued to work for him. When I went off to college, uh, he was grading yards around brand new houses up in the DFW area. And and he ran the tractor and I ran the shovel. And so I would shovel the dirt up against the house. It had to be six inches below the bricks. And then I would sweep off the sidewalks and the driveway and get it all fixed up before we left. And boy, there were times when it was so hot out there, but he was working and I was working. It was, it was just hard work, but it was rewarding work. But there were times when I just wanted to go around and hide. But I knew that right around the corner, he was there and he could come around the corner at any minute. You know, one of the things that helped me to keep on shoveling the dirt and sweeping the sidewalks and the driveway is when I was finished, my dad would always look at it. We'd, get, we'd step back and look at it. The yard would be all smooth and the driveway would be swept and everything, it would be ready for the homeowner to come and put the grass on it. And he would say, it looks good. That's what God that's really what God is wanting to do in our lives. When we live in holiness and obedience, he wants to tell us that looks good. You're doing good. Remember that he's your father, but he's your judge, but not in a mean way. He wants to hold you accountable. Listen to this. I have an, uh, one more from the, uh, from the message. It says, but don't forget He's also a responsible father and won't let you get by with sloppy living. Your life is a journey you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, knowing. It goes back to our mind again knowing, thinking about that, that God paid a big price for our salvation. He paid with the blood of his only begotten son to deliver us from our futile way of life. The word means empty. Anything we do outside of the will of God and outside of our relationship to God, there's emptiness in that. Have you noticed that? 
you ever plan to do something big and then when it, when, you, when it was all over with, it felt empty because you really didn't plan it according to the will and the way of God? There's always emptiness when we're outside of the will of God. And so it doesn't matter whether we fail uh, as Natalie was talking about earlier, we fail because of sin as Christians, and we do, and we thank goodness we have forgiveness if we confess and repent of our sin. But even if you're outside the family of God and you just fail in fleshly indulgence, it goes all the way back to Adam. That's futility. But the scripture says we can be redeemed by precious blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, because he's unblemished, he's spotless. He redeemed us. The word redeemed means to be bought back. It was a slave term in those days. There were slaves, obviously, and a slave could either save up enough money to buy his freedom or he could find someone who was benevolent who would buy his freedom for him and set him free. That's what Jesus did for us. He redeemed us. He bought us back out of the slavery of sin. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul tells us that, that in the fullness of time, Jesus came. Look at verse 20 with me. It says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. He came just at the right time. Born of a woman, it says in Galatians. Born of a woman and born under the law. Isn't that all of our story? We're all born of a woman. We all have a mom. That means Jesus had a mom, Mary, obviously. He was born of a woman. He was a person just like us, born under the law. If he had broken one of those laws, he would have never been qualified to go to the cross for us. But he fulfilled all of them so that when he went up on that cross and shed his precious blood as an unblemished and spotless lamb, God marked our sin debt paid in full. And because of that, we have freedom and joy to serve him. Uh, some of you are so hungry, I'm sure, to watch sports on TV again. And I know there was a lot of people watching the NFL draft. And one of the things that they always say is they step up and they say the next team that's on the clock. So someone would step up and say Dallas is now on the clock. And so they're on the clock. They're on the clock and they have a certain amount of time, maybe five minutes to make a decision. Look what he says here. He says, we're on the clock. It says, he appeared in these last times for the sake of you. What are the last times? We're living in the last times. Now, I'm not predicting that Jesus is coming today, but I know we've been living in the last times since the day Jesus ascended to heaven. And every day is another day of opportunity if we're not a Christian, to give our heart and life to Christ, and if we are, to walk in the holiness that we're afforded in Christ and in his word. That's what is the blessing of living in God. He says, through faith and hope in God. God is huge. He's beyond measure. He's, above, he's beyond our imagination. It's incredible. But God is personal. He's so personal that he stepped out of heaven and walked in our shoes. His name is Jesus. And because of what Jesus did, we can have a relationship to this holy, huge God. It's an incredible blessing. So what? 
So how do we apply this practically? Now, here's where you can take a note. And I wish I could tell you that this is original with me, but I got these four suggestions from a commentary by Charles or Chuck Swindoll. Now, I've written his notes down and added some of my own, but I want you to think about this. And this is very, this very practical for us as Christians and especially for our day and time. So here they are. It says, first of all, if we're going to live in holiness in a perishing world, pay close attention to what you look at. Pay close attention to what you look at. What are you looking at? You and I both know that there's a lot of ungodly things everywhere that we can look at. But on the flip side, there's a lot of wonderful, godly, precious things that we can look at. So number one, pay close attention to what you look at. Your eyes are the closest connection to your mind. What are you putting your eyes on? Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter four and verse eight, he said, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell, I like that word, dwell on these things. Watch your eye gate. Pay close attention to what you look at. Secondly, now this is, if you can get this, if we can all get this, it'll help us to walk in holiness. Give greater thought to long-range consequences than to immediate pleasures. Give greater thought to long-range consequences than to immediate pleasures. Man, that's worth its weight in gold right there. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 about Moses that he chose to endure hardship with the people of God against the passing pleasures of sin, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Is sin enjoyable? Yeah, it is, but it's passing. And it leads to regret and emptiness. So think about the consequences before you make a decision. You know, our world never mentions the disaster of not thinking about the consequences. It never mentions the disaster of looking at porn. It never, and how it can tear and ruin a family and a heart and a reputation. It never mentions the disastrousness of even alcohol and alcohol abuse. It all just, you know, you're never going to hear that or see that. But we need to think about the consequences, the long-range consequences, and that would, would really help to deliver us from a lot of bad decisions if we'll stop and think. I heard it said one time, sin will take you farther than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation and just a moment to ruin it. So he says, pay close attention to what you look at. Secondly, give thought to the long-range consequences before you make a decision. Thirdly, start each day by renewing your sense of reverence for God. No. We have this idea in our world that God is so full of love and Jesus loves us so much that he saved us and then said, go out and do whatever you want to do. That's not biblical. You know, we're to, we to live in reverence before him. That's what it tells us right here. And so I was looking at a video from Dr. Gil Lane who came and preached for us here a while back. And 
One of the things he said in his devotion was that every morning he gets up and he repeats Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Just to remind himself that he is to be dead to himself and Christ is to live in and through us. I read a book by Bill Bright years ago and it says he prayed something like this, Lord, think with my mind and love with my heart and see with my eyes and speak with my lips. Work with my hands, move with my feet, wear me as a suit of clothing. Swindoll said, just say something like, Lord, I'm here, I'm yours, I give you my day. As inadequate and fragile as I am, I need your help today. Be sure to give him reverence as the source of your power and start each day by renewing your father-child relationship. And so be careful about what you see, what you see with your eyes. Secondly, think about long-term consequences before you make a decision. Thirdly, start every day by renewing that father-child relationship. And fourthly, this is really important, <laughs> refocus on Christ throughout the day. Never lose focus. Most of us do. I've been guilty of that. As a matter of fact, when I drive, I have a terrible habit. I like to look out and see. I like to look at the country. I look at the cows. I look at the flowers. I look at the mountains. I look at that house. Hey, I never noticed that over there before. And I don't know how many times my family has said to me, pay attention to the road. And I have to admit, there's been a couple of times when I got distracted and bumped into somebody. So it's easy to get distracted and lose focus. Thankfully, I didn't hurt anybody. I tore up a couple of cars, but we have a tendency to drift, so we need to refocus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. To lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us and fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's what we need to do. So, we just go over that one more time. Be careful what you see, what goes in through the gate of your eyes. Men, young men, women, young women, be careful what you see. Fill your heart and mind with good and godly and positive. Secondly, think about the long-term consequences before you decide and your reputation and your ability to glorify God. Thirdly, start each day by renewing that father-child relationship. And fourthly, make sure you refocus throughout the day. Now, some of you may be saying, well, pastor, what if I've already blown it? Here's the good news. God's mercies are new every morning. And if God's people are God's people, they will come and encourage you and as God's people, all of us know, but for the grace of God, it could be any of us who falls into sin. But the scripture tells us that, that those of us who are supposedly, who are spiritual are to restore others with a sense of gentleness, knowing that the same thing could happen to us. If you have a need, if you've fallen into something that you feel like taking you further than you wanted to go and keeping you longer than you wanted to stay and costing you more than you wanted to pay, then please contact us. We want to help you or get you some help. Don't let the enemy ruin 
your heart in life. You can go at our website, cbchillsboro.com. You can find my email there. I would love to hear from you, and I would definitely keep it confidential. I want to be a help, and I know that our church does as well. Look what it says at the end of this chapter in verse 22. It says, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. See, that's the kind of love that lifts others up, even when they fall. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. It all goes back to our mind. Listen to this saying by, the man, by a man named Frank Outlaw. What a name. But here's what he said. Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. God help us with our character, our holiness, to live practical holy lives in a world that is perishing around us. Would you pray with me? Father, we come humbly before you today. We thank you for the grace that has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We thank you for that salvation that is imperishable, undefiled, won't fade, and is protected by your power. So help us then to live with reverence, with holy fear before you and before our world that needs to see minds that are ready for action and steady and calm in the middle of crisis. And I pray for uh, if there's a man or a woman or a boy or a girl today who just really needs your touch and your encouragement, God, draw them near to yourself and speak into their hearts and lives. And I pray if there's someone who's really struggling with uh, with something that's a besetting sin, that you would help them to reach out and find help. We would rejoice to be able to do something, to pray with them, and, and more than that, to try to find that help that they need. But Lord, help us to focus on you and refocus on you moment by moment in our lives. As we uh, sing our song of commitment now, Lord, help us to think through these things and to have our minds ready for action each day to practically live out our holiness. For we pray it in Jesus' name. song of commitment together express our longing for holiness 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 is what I long for holiness is what I need holiness holiness is what you So take my heart and fall. 
Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We're so glad that you did. I want to remind you of a couple of things. Next week, again, for one more week, hopefully just one more week, we will be uh, doing a Facebook Live service together. And uh, again, I appreciate everyone who comes up to help with this. We couldn't do it without them. But on the 17th, be looking for a letter this week, and then we'll have reminders out between now and the 17th. We will be coming to worship together, not all at one time, but uh, you'll get all the details and we will, by the time this comes around, you will have been inundated with the details. And so you should know exactly what to do and how we're going to do it to be as safe as possible, but to be back together. So we look forward to that. If you have a need, if you have a prayer request, uh, please let us know. We would love to be a help to you or a blessing to you. You can call the church at 254-582-2370 and leave a message anytime, um, and we'll get back with you. You can send us an email, whatever you'd like to do. If you uh, need uh, something delivered or some help with that, you don't have someone to do that, we would we would be glad to help with that. I want to thank you again for your faithfulness and giving. It's been incredible uh, that we've been a church of such generosity through these times, and We're just grateful for all that God has done, even in this, and especially for the way that the word of God is really going out all over the world. And so maybe what the enemy meant for evil, even that God is using for good. Amen. So we're grateful for that. Uh, We're going to read our verse together and we'll be dismissed and we look forward. We'll have an update for you, of course, on Wednesday, as we usually do around 3.30. And if anything breaks, we'll, we'll get to you. Uh, before that. So uh, keep an eye on Facebook and we'll continue to post on there as well. All right, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.